Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Oh, man. Um, What a beautiful day in God's presence. Let's go ahead and um, just pray and uh, turn our affection and our gaze on the Lord. Precious Jesus, we just first say thank you for how beautifully you showed up today in our lives, God. How beautifully you showed up in the service. Lord, we recognize you don't reveal yourself like that just anywhere. So God, we're honored that you trust us with your glory. You trust us with your presence. And God, we wanna be trusted to carry more of your glory. We wanna carry your glory. We don't wanna touch the glory, God. It's not to be touched, it's to be carried. So Father, we just thank you this morning that if there's any sick bodies in the room, they would be made whole, that sickness would surrender to the finished work of the cross. God, if there is anyone sick in mind or sick in heart, We just command, we command the peace that surpasses all understanding to manifest in the room. And sometimes in order to experience the peace that surpasses understanding, we have to give up our right to understand. So God, we give up our rights to understand right now, no matter what we've come in here with. And we just say, Jesus, touch us, touch us, touch us, touch us. In Jesus' name, if you receive that, just say amen, amen, amen. amen. Um, I, I, did a, I did a short message a couple weeks ago at our Dwell Outpour service. How many of you were here for that? Just by a show of hands so I can see who I'm talking to. Okay, awesome. There were a lot who weren't here, um, but, but I taught that night, and I'm really going to do a more broader teaching on what I taught a couple weeks ago. And so what I, what I felt led to, to speak on is guarding your oil. Guarding your oil. And really the scripture that I want to kind of glean from right now. John chapter 12, one through three. It's amazing, this, this, this account is described in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That just really emphasizes how much the Lord honors this moment right here in the scriptures. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard or pure oil. Notice it says pure oil, an expenses perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. This scripture has marked my life more than any other scripture really the past couple years. Um, In my office I have this, uh, this drawing, this picture of this woman which it's Mary with her face at the feet of Jesus and on that painting it says one thing is needed. And the reason I have that, I have it intentionally in my office because in the madness of ministry sometimes, I want to be able to keep my heart tethered to this truth that one thing is needed. Above any other demand of ministry, above any other demand of life, what will reign supreme when I stand before Jesus is the oil I have found at his feet. One thing is needed. It's interesting here in scripture, anytime scripture is specific, like uses specific words, I believe it's never by accident. It's always on purpose. And so here it is so specific, it specifies pure oil. Why couldn't 
the gospel writer just have said oil? Because I want to suggest to you, in the world we're living today, there are many types of oils out there. There are oils that are polluted with worldly mixture. We see that a lot right now. If you've been on social media in the past couple weeks, you've seen a lot of this earthly mixture where, where very popular ministries can twist scripture to accommodate people's compromise. And that is not the way of the gospel. That is not the gospel at all. So there's polluted oil, there's, there's diluted oil, there's all these types of oil. But what Jesus is looking for in today's hour is pure oil. And if I, if I hear anything resonating, reverberating from the throne room of God right now to the bride of Christ, it is this, store oil, invest in eternity. I say this a lot. Bill Johnson said, Many people don't have any interest in heaven at all because they don't have anything stored there. They don't have anything invested there. This is an hour, bride of Christ, to begin investing in oil. I, I spoke a couple weeks ago. I, I mentioned, you know, as, as someone who holds the title of pastor, who's a minister of the gospel, there are many mandates that I'm aware that I'm, I'm supposed to carry. There are hospital visits I have. There's counseling that has to be done. There's many mandates that uh, preachers carry. But if there is one singular mandate that supersedes all other mandates, it is this. It's preparing the body of Christ for one moment of your existence. One moment of your existence. That is the supreme mandate of anybody who carries the title or who carries the gospel. And this, this moment that I'm talking about, no one is exempt from it. Whether you are Elon Musk or whether you're a school teacher, no matter who you are, everyone will have to face this moment. Some of you are closer to this moment than others based on how old you are. <laughs> I'll be there. Very true. Very true. <laughs> Regardless, this moment that I'm talking about is the moment we stand before the face of Jesus and give an account for our lives. And if I know I'm preparing every day for one moment, I would ask the question, what is going to be expected in that moment? What do I need to be preparing for on this side of eternity that will matter on that side of eternity? And the Bible is really, really clear on this. God would be a cruel father if he would give us this huge expectation of this one moment that we're going to have in the throne room and not give us any sort of instruction of what to be prepared for with. He is a good father. He's a kind father. And he is very clear in scripture on what he is looking for in that moment. And according to scripture, what the Lord is looking for is hearts that have stewarded oil in his presence. And Matthew chapter, what is it? Matthew chapter 25 in the parable of the 10 virgins, we see five who were wise and five who were foolish. And the defining factor between the five wise and the five foolish was not the five wise had a greater following than the five foolish. It wasn't the five wise had a greater influence than the five foolish. It was this, the five wise had oil and the foolish did not. And oil in scripture, I know it's, it's metaphor. It can kind of be like, what is oil? Oil is 
our secret lives of prayer, love, and devotion to the Lord Jesus. That is how we buy oil from the Lord. Beginning of this year, I felt like I, I heard this mandate from the Lord from my life. Because how many of you know when, you, when, you, when you're living for one thing, it makes all these other demands of life just kind of fade and become side issues. And so I, I felt like the Lord asked me this year, stop digging wells that have no water in them. Stop digging wells that have no eternal value in them. So in other words, I felt like what God was saying is stop giving your time, effort, and energy on being consumed with meaningless cares and activities that have no eternal value. What I'm not going to be taken to the throne. What will burn up in the throne room. This by no means gives us permission to just give up on our careers and our lives. I mean, you know, there's responsibilities that we have and all that, but it just puts everything else in perspective when you realize I'm living for one thing. I say this a lot. My one yes to Jesus is a no to everything else. We, we can get so worked up think, saying, I have to say no to all these demands where it's like, if I just know how to say yes to this one thing, it's a million no's to every other demand in my life. So this morning, I want to just take us through just a teaching on how to guard the oil in our hearts. So there's a whole other teaching I could do on how to, how to get oil, how to steward oil in the presence of God. That's a whole other teaching. But today, I want to talk about how to guard the oil because there is an enemy out there, an enemy in culture, an enemy in society that throws distractions at the bride of Christ to take her eyes off of the groom. And what I've discovered is distractions. It's like a small little fly that comes into a jar of oil. And that one fly can contaminate the entire containing of anointing. And so it is of utmost importance we know how to put a wall up around our secret place. Put a wall up around the oil that we steward in God's presence. So I have a few points I want to go through today. The first one I want to I hit on is how to guard our oil is this. Keep the flame of first love burning. Keep the flame of first love burning in the midst of warfare. I did, I did want to talk about warfare a little bit today. As I, was, as I was preparing this week, I did have this feeling that many in this house are struggling in a season of warfare, have had a week of spiritual warfare. And so I do want to touch on this this morning. Uh, it was really strong in my heart and then just hearing stories of, what's been happening in our body uh, right now. So I just want to touch on that. First of all, every believer will enter the day of darkness. Everyone is not, no one is exempt from a day of darkness. And the day of darkness will either define you or it will refine you based on how you position and how you steward your heart in that season. You could be defined by that day of darkness and you could make that day and turn it into a lifetime of darkness. But how many of you know we walk through the valley of shadows? We don't make camp in the valley of shadows. I've seen many well-meaning Christians idolize pain, idolize mourning. There is a place, mourn with those who mourn, but don't live there. Come out of that. Jesus has a plan to heal mourning. Mourn with those. He said, blessed are those who mourn. You, you have, there's a blessing that comes with biblical mourning. But I've seen how it can get unhealthy, and there's this attention that is fueled from idolizing mourning. So the day of darkness comes to everybody, but will it define you or will it refine you into a deeper place with the Lord? 
And spiritual warfare can come in many different forms. It can come through anxiety, mental illness. It can come death, pain, loss, tragedy. It can come broken from broken hearts. Anything can, can be under this guise of spiritual warfare. Satan was willing to give up the entire kingdoms of the earth that he had for just one moment of Jesus' worship. When you boil spiritual warfare down and cut it open, at the core of every spiritual warfare battle is this. Who will get the attention of your heart? Who will get the worship of your heart? That is what spiritual warfare is in essence. It is a battle for the attention of your heart. The devil... When Jesus was on the earth, he did have dominion over kingdoms. And he went to Jesus and said, I will give you all these kingdoms if you would just bow down and worship me for a second. See, Lucifer knew the throne room better than anybody. He was heaven's lead worship leader. He was in the throne room. Scripture says that his body was made up of instruments. So he breathed and worship came out from him. He didn't necessarily have to play an instrument. He just breathed and worship would come. So he knew, he knows worship. He knows attention. And he was willing to give up all the kingdoms of the earth just for one second of Jesus's attention. Just want to say, protect your worship. Protect your worship. Guard the worship of your heart. St. Teresa said this, one encounter with God is worth a million years of exhaustive theology. One encounter with God is worth a million years of exhausted theology. And what, I, what I say to anyone in spiritual warfare is more can happen in one second of staring at the face of Jesus than months, days, years spent with the exertion of our own strength. Anything can happen in one moment of his presence. That's the power that, that we have. I've discovered in my life that my ability to conquer spiritual warfare is directly related to how connected I am to Jesus in the place of first love, in secrecy, in secret place. And um, I want to read Isaiah 59. I just want to go to this. Anytime I'm, I found in my life I'm in a season of spiritual warfare, it demands that I raise the standard in my life in the place of prayer, worship, and adoration. I was talking with someone recently who is in a season of warfare, and what I said to them is, when you are in warfare, you have to treat your spiritual life kind of like how you treat your body when your body has a virus. When your body has a virus, what do you do? You up your electrolytes. You, you feed your soul. You feed, you feed and feed until your body comes out on the other side. In the same way, that's what happens in spiritual warfare. Remember Elijah when he was... He ran away from Jezebel. He was suicidal and in a, a big downward tiz, tizzy. What was his, what was the remedy? The angel feeding him over and over. Feed, eat this, drink this, drink this. Isaiah 59, let's go ahead and read this. This is a, a very frequently quoted scripture that we read a lot um, in terms of spiritual warfare. I quoted this at Wednesday worship and prayer, Isaiah 59, 19. We can read this. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. Here it is right here. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So I'm going to sound like one of those preachers that acts like they know a bunch of Hebrew. I really don't know much Hebrew. 
but, but I do know this much. The Hebrew language, it's, it's very complicated to translate punctuation. And the original Hebrew Bible, if we could put that back up, the comma is not, we can put it, where, where are we at? When the enemy comes in like a flood, right here. This comma does not actually exist there. The comma actually goes in a different place. So it could read like this. When the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. See, anytime we're in a spiritual warfare, the enemy would want nothing more than to give the illusion that he's this flood, that he's this big monster coming into our lives. But according to scripture, the enemy is not the flood. You have the flood inside of you. The flood of Jesus is in you. When the enemy comes in, pause right there, like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. You have a flood on your side. You're not up against the flood when you're going through spiritual warfare. Jesus is the voice of many waters, but Satan does not have the ability to be water. It's not in his nature, but it is in the nature of Jesus. His voice is the flood. Allow the voice of Jesus, if you're in warfare, allow the voice of Jesus to come and flush out any darkness that is coming at you. That is the standard. That is the flood. Anytime I've, I've been in spiritual warfare, I'm sure anybody who's ever been in warfare has come out with wounds and trauma and deep, deep pain. And one of the most frequent misconceptions I hear is that time heals all wounds. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you have found that not to be true many times? If time healed all wounds, nursing homes would be the happiest places on earth. <laughs> if time healed all wounds, then you would get nicer as you grow older, naturally. That's why they call it a grumpy old man, not a grumpy young man. It just doesn't, doesn't happen. I want to go in the scripture, John 21. This is Jesus' prescription for how he heals wounds. Jesus' prescription for how he heals any type of trauma. John 21, this, this passage is a, a dark moment in the disciples' lives. This is right after Jesus dies. Every single one of them denies Jesus. They leave him when they, he needed them most. And so this is where we find the disciples right here. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. I am going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. It's very interesting to me right here. This scene right here mirrors the scene where Jesus first introduced himself to Peter. What is this speaking of? First love, taking us back to our first love. Another implication here is that anytime we're in a season of disappointment, trauma, we tend to just go back to what we know we're good at. We tend to just go back to the season before, go back to the monotony of life, go back to the, the same predictability of life. So the disciples were going back to being fishermen. After three years of walking with Jesus, of seeing blind eyes open, the dead raised, their worlds were rocked. This trauma, this pain was so deep that they are just like, I'm going to go back to what, I'm, to what I know I'm good at. And I just want to say to everyone, when God calls you out of a season where he brings you into a new season, he doesn't do that to tease you. He doesn't do that to kind of dangle a season in front of you and take it away. If God has placed you in a season, he's not going to make you go back to the past one. When he brings you into a season, he will sustain you in that season. 
The God who brings you there will sustain you there. Verse four, it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them saying, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his garment around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, but a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. Notice the imagery here. A fire of burning coals is the exact thing Peter was warming himself with the moment he was denying Jesus. I just want to say when the Lord redeems you, he redeems every single minute detail of your life. The fire of burning coals, this is him saying, Peter, I'm redeeming you. The, the last time you were at a fire of coals was when you were denying me. Now, face this again. I'm going to heal your heart. I'm going to heal your wounds. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I want everyone to notice here the process Jesus uses to restoring Peter's wounds. He didn't ask Peter, read this book on trauma, although that's great. He didn't ask him, go to this seminar. That's great too. Jesus' process for all of us to healing wounds, healing trauma is this, taking us by the hand, bringing us here to this place, look me in the face and tell me you love me. Tell me you love me. Tell me you love me. Tell me you love me all over again. Our first love with Jesus is what heals all wounds. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Jesus heals all wounds. Jesus heals all wounds. If you're in a hard place today, this is the perfect place for you to be in right here in the presence of God. Loving Jesus heals everything, everything. Psalms 18, I love this psalm. I use it in my prayer time a lot. David writes, I will love you, Lord, my strength. See, there is a inner strengthening that comes to us when we set our hearts on loving the Lord. This is a king that is writing this, a king, a warrior who knows bloodshed, who knows battle. He could have said, I love my sword, my strength. He could have said, my, my ammunition is my strength. But this man was a man who knew how to tremble in the presence of God and say, I will love you, Lord, my strength. Loving Jesus is the greatest strength you could ever find in your heart. There's no greater ambition than that. There's no higher calling than that. Nothing is greater than finding this first love with Jesus. I've almost made it a, a daily routine in my, in my prayer time with God that every time I meet with the Lord, I take my phone out and I play back, I have it recorded, 
my first encounters I've had with God. So I have a, I have a recording of when I was seven years old when a prophet came to my church and, and laid hands on me and just God marked me in such a deep way. I, I tasted something that day, February 27th, 2002. That moment is why I am who I am today is because God marked me. I rehash, rehearse that moment every single day of my life. No exaggeration. Why? Because life is too demanding. I can't afford one day to have a calloused heart before the Lord. I need to constantly remember that day, that moment where the Lord marked me. Because when I taste that moment over and over again, it gives me a hunger for more moments. God, touch me again. Touch me like that again. Come, mark my life again. I would just encourage everybody that in your prayer time, write down, if you don't have them recorded, write down your greatest encounters with God. Write down the first time you found the Lord, the first time he found you. Don't just write it down and go through it in a list. Open up your mouths and talk to God about that moment. Open up your mouth and say, Lord, I remember the feeling I had in my heart. I remember this. Thank you, Lord. It might feel like really awkward at first, but if you do it little by little, I promise you the heavens will break up open over your life. I, I really started doing this in 2018 when we were living in a little apartment in Redding, California, and that little apartment turned into my own personal garden of Eden right there. This is, this is so much fruit right here. All right, second, second point I want to make. We guard our oil by keeping our speech sacred and holy. Keeping our speech sacred and holy. In honor of the resurrection week, I want to I dive into the road to Emmaus. I believe there's so many awesome nuggets here that we could dive into on how to guard the oil we have with Jesus. Luke 24, 13. That very day, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself, what does it say? Drew near or came near. Please notice, if you're ever in your Bible reading, anytime you see the phrase, Jesus came near, you need to put a big stop sign right there. And go back and read it over and over again and find out what caused him to come near to the disciples. And apply that to your life. Pray it into your life. In this case right here, it was the disciples' speech and conversation that drew Jesus in. So the implication here, I believe, is that our speech can either repel the presence of Jesus or it can invite the manifest presence of Jesus. This is all about the dove, all about keeping the dove on our, on our shoulders, our speech, our language. According to the scripture, our, our words and our speech always hosts presence. Say that again. Our words and our speech always host presence. Now, depending on the content of our words and speech determines the type of presence we host. I could host the presence of Jesus or I could host the presence of darkness with my language. Have you ever been around somebody and the, the conversation turns to like oh, this gossipy type stuff and you just kind of feel icky afterwards. You just feel like, oh, I need to be washed. I feel dirty right now. Speech hosts presence. James 3, 7. People can tame all kinds of Animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. 
It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. I'm sure none of you in this room have done this. This is for the church down the street, right? (laughs) And so blessing and cursing come, pouring out of this same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I just want to say to go where God is calling the bride of Christ to go. We need to have a holy conviction on our language and on our speech. I know many well-meaning people get into venting and venting. There's always a place for venting, but venting can't masquerade. We can't masquerade gossip as venting. We can't. God sees through whatever we want to call it. He sees it's guilt. It's it's gossip. We can label it whatever. Jesus can see right through what we're we're saying. (laughs) He can see right through. I believe that gossip, complaining, and divisive language is actually witchcraft in diapers. (laughs) I believe it's actually witchcraft in its most infant state. What is witchcraft? Witchcraft is the desire to control and manipulate. What is gossip? The desire to control and manipulate other people's perceptions and opinions of you. Now, none of us, give you some time to let that digest. Let's drink to that, guys. Now, none of us would hopefully not blatantly engage with witchcraft and Ouija boards and all that. But we have these hidden foxes in our, in our lives that sometimes we're not even aware of until it's brought out in moments like these. Like, oh, I have that in my heart. I have that in my life. And the worst thing we could do is with pride try to accommodate, our, accommodate that, that sin in our life. The best thing we can do is go to the Lord Jesus and say, I have this nasty thing in my heart. Will your presence please purge this out of me, Lord? I can't go to where you're calling me to go with this fox in my life. I can't go with this hidden gospel. I can't get to where you're calling me to go with this hidden language. I want to just say, Bride of Christ, we need to clean up our speech to go where God is calling us to go. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which whom you were sealed for that day of redemption. You don't know how many times in my my prayer time, I'm like, Holy Spirit, I am so sorry for grieving you. That, that, That conversation I had, that... Oh, that hurt my heart. And I know if it hurt my heart, it hurt your heart. So Holy Spirit, please forgive me for, for grieving you. That, that is the type of sensitivity we need to ask the Lord to give us in the days to come. Uh, having a tender heart in these days, it's, it's, it's very rare to find a people who have a tender heart. The world is so calloused out there. Catherine Coleman used to say, please don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's all that I have. Please don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's all that 
I have. I just want to say Jesus is holier than our opinions. Notice Jesus said, speak the truth in love, not speak your opinion in love. Speak the truth in love, not your opinion in love. No amount of gossip, no amount of complaining is ever worth the pain of losing the dove of his presence. It's not worth it. Luke 24, I want to just keep reading, then I'll want to land this plane pretty soon. It says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. I'm not sure if you realize this, but anytime the Lord asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he's trying to draw an answer out of you. He's trying to get you to have your eyes open to the, to the answer. It's just like in the Garden of Eden, Adam, where are you? It's not that God wasn't aware of Adam's geographic location. He was trying to get Adam to understand where are you in the geography of your heart. You missed your date with me. You missed your appointment in the garden. Where are you? Where are you? Verse 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? I love Jesus messing with them. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. He's a comedian too. He's Lord and comedian too. <laughs> he said, what things? They said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and the people. Notice when this disciple was describing the Lord Jesus, he not once said he was God. He not once said he was Savior. He not once said he was Lord. He merely said he was a prophet. I just want to say that one of the greatest attacks on the purity of our oil is preaching a partial Jesus, preaching an incomplete gospel. See, a Jesus has, who has not been crucified is not the complete gospel. A partial gospel is an incomplete gospel. And I just want to say the hour we're living in demands. We know what we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus. We know who he is. He is Lord. He is Savior of my life. I've been getting this conviction, not so much a conviction, just, just a question mark from the Holy Spirit recently. I'm just processing out loud with you guys. I hope that's okay. <laughs> Anytime I'm alone with God or publicly praying and I say the phrase, I love the presence, I begin getting a question mark from the Holy Spirit. And the question he asked me is this, whose presence are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, it's the presence of God. And then the follow-up question is, which God are you talking about? Culture claims many gods. And then I get to the point where he's wanting me to refine my language. And I come to the point where I say, I am in love with the presence of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. See, the apostles did, did not get martyred by believing in a supreme being. They did not get ma martyred or killed by believing in this ethereal presence. They got martyred. By being devoted to a name, the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is the name that will get you fired from your job. This is the name that will get you canceled. This is the name that, that will get you martyred. And I just want to say, hell shrieks when you say that name. 
we were we had a show playing in the house a couple weeks ago. It was like a reality show, and um, I won't say what it was. <laughs> Ask me later. No, it's okay. It's okay. Hold it back. Um, these it's the show of these very well-known people, and I'm asking Emily, like, so do they do they believe in God? Oh yeah, they believe in God. They're Christian. They're like this pastor uh, married them. I'm like what? It's like, I bet they won't use the name Jesus. And sure enough, the whole episode play, they say God, and they're living like demons. But they will not use the name Jesus in that show. Why? Because that name will get you canceled. That name will get you fired. That name is the most precious name. And I just want to say, to go where God is calling us to go as a body, we need to refine our speech, refine our language, and be specific when we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, um, next point, I'm almost done. Keep connected to the scriptures. If you want to protect your oil, keep connected to the scriptures. I'm convinced as we get closer to the Lord's return, there will be a great divide between true followers of Jesus and Christians who are just Christians in name only. I believe it will become clear and clear in the days to come as we get closer to the Lord's return. And the most repeated warning Jesus gives us in those days is this. He says, do not be deceived over and over again. That's his greatest warning for the last day's church is don't fall into deception. Now, if you're deceived, you probably don't know you're deceived, right? (laughs) So my question that I would ask myself is, what is the litmus test? How do I know in these last days if I'm living in deception or not? I don't want to just assume that I'm all good. I don't want to just assume that. And I just want to say the test is very clear. The question that we should ask ourselves to understand if we're living in deception or not is this. Do I believe the entire Bible? And do I pursue a lifestyle that lines up with it? It's crazy. In 2023, I have to say that, but there are many, many people out there who profess the name of Jesus who do not believe the entire Bible. It's happening out there. It's it's wild. There are many people who are influential for Jesus, but who are not intimate with Jesus. And I just want to say, if we were to protect the oil in our hearts in these coming days, we need a Bible revival more than ever. We need a Bible revival. I want to go back to the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, 21. We had hoped that this Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, (laughs) and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The first thing I take away from this is anytime we're blinded by loss, blinded by trauma like these disciples were, Jesus' process for opening up their eyes is taking them to the scriptures. See, there's a, in Ephesians, it talks about a washing that comes from the word. And sometimes we go through life and our week is hectic and our our hearts just get blind to the presence of God. And sometimes we just need to open the Psalms and read until we find our voice in the Psalms. And allow the washing of the word to just wash away all the blindness from our hearts. Secondly, can you imagine walking with Jesus? This is about a two and a half hour walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. 
and he's walking him through the Old Testament scriptures, saying, here I am in Genesis. Here I am in Jeremiah. Here I am in all these Old Testament scriptures. How we tend to read the Bible as modern church is, is this. How we tend to read it is that Jesus shows up in Matthew, then he bolts and acts, and then he's coming back in Revelation. And what my heart is, is for us to be eternally stamped in this house, is that the entire scriptures speak of Jesus Christ. Genesis to Revelation speak of Jesus. I pointed this out, I think, maybe a year ago, but if you take Genesis chapter 5, the first book of the Bible, chapter 5, there's a list of genealogies that go from Adam to Noah. And genealogies, typically, we want to skip through them, right? There's, there's no meaning in that, right? In the gene genealogies, if you take the definitions of each name, the definition of the name Adam, and so on and so forth, until you get to Noah, you get the entire life of Jesus in those names. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal. And then it goes sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down, declaring that his death will bring the despairing rest. The name Methuselah means his death will bring, and the name Noah means rest. Even in Genesis 5, the Old Testament is shouting, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The entire scriptures are about the lamb, are about the man who's coming. All that to say, to protect your oil, give yourself to scriptures. Know your Bible. All right, last one, and I could have keys come up and help me close. How to guard your oil is keep contending for encounters. We can't live off of last week's encounter. I can't live off of 10 years ago's encounter. I can glean from them and use them as fuel to say thank you, but I want to say thank you, but give me more. Thank you, but give me more. That's my, my prayer almost every day. Thank you, give me more. Please hear this or write this down or however you want to just get this into your heart. The only way to guard what you have in God is to consistently pursue more of God. The only way to guard what you have in God is to consistently pursue more of God. Mark 4, 24. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. I discovered in my life there's no such thing as being stagnant with, with God. I am either going forward in the kingdom or I am going backwards in the kingdom. There's, there's no neutral point. This is an ever-moving, ever-expanding kingdom. And to guard our oil, we must keep in pace with the pulse of his presence. Keep in pace with his heartbeat. See, we, we, it, is, it is very possible to do life and to be a Christian, to do ministry without ever knowing the heart of Jesus. Jesus said to Philip in the book of John, he said, Philip, have you, have you been with me all this time without ever knowing me? Have you walked with me three years and you still don't know me? It is very possible. It's such a heartbreaking thing to hear, but we forget that 
out of all 12 disciples, they all had the same access to Jesus, but only one chose to lean his head up against his chest. Oh, just, I want to hear his heartbeat. I want to hear what it sounds like. I want to I feel him breathing. That kind of intimacy is not cheap, but it's available to anyone. It's available to anyone. It's not cheap, but he still opens his chest to the bride and say, who wants to come this close? Who wants to be this close? Emily and I were gifted a, a car uh, a couple of years ago. We had, we had one car for several years of our marriage, and someone gave us a car. The car was in great condition. Battery was great. No issues at all with the car. And um, we drove it a lot that first year. And then this past year, um, Emily, Emily came on full-time staff here at Dwell with me, so we rarely need a second car. We're constantly together, driving everywhere together. So uh, we rarely have to turn that new that other car on and so I it's been a, it was a couple months since I had turned it on turned the ignition on and so two months go by and I stick the key in and nothing's working so like most young adults I call my dad <laughs> I ask him what's wrong he says how long has it been since you started the car it's been a couple months well there's your problem right there and in my intellect, I'm thinking, okay, the less I use the battery, the longer the battery should last. But I guess with cars, it's different. I know nothing about cars. I can talk to you about Jesus and coffee and college football. I can't talk to you about cars. I don't know anything about it. And, and so we had to get a whole new battery replaced and cost us, you know, a couple hundred dollars. How many of you love car issues? It's amazing, right? It's, it's awesome. But I say all that to say when, when we neglect to just to just stick our key into the ignition of prayer. When we neglect that, there's this deterioration that happens in our hearts. There's this, there's this hardening that comes to our souls and we begin to level off and that's the moment we begin to die and deteriorate on the inside. When we neglect that costly pursuit, there's something that happens. There's a sharpening in our souls that come when we give him something that's costly when we stay in that place of sacrifice. I believe in, in this seeker-friendly world of consumer Christianity that we live in, we've really lost the art of paying any price for a fresh encounter with God. Where are those ancient messages, those ancient sermons that talk about holding on to the horns of the altar. and I'm not letting go until you touch me. I'm not letting go until I walk away with a limp. Where is that? We have 20 services for you on a Sunday, but we don't have time to pray and to seek his face. I'm sorry, but it grieves my heart. We have all these things and activities, but, but, but where is the sacrifice? Where is the cost? Where is the price that I pay to know his face, to know him more? I'm convinced that how the church of Jesus Christ started is how it will end. How did the church, how was it birthed? It was birthed with an explosion in the upper room. It was birthed with great persecution, but with great fire. I believe that's how it will end. It will be a great birthing of a move of God, a great birthing of fire, and a great birthing also of persecution.
Any time in history the church has been persecuted, it has always grown and tremendously in numbers. I've discovered in my life everything I need in God's kingdom will be brought to me, but everything I want, I'll have to go get. I'll have to sacrifice. Redding, California, we lived there for a year. Redding, California is the hub of Bethel Church, Revival Hub. Redding, California is one of the most difficult cities in the world, or not in the world, I'm going to say the world, but in America at least, to get to. It, it is actually, in some cases, it is quicker to fly from Dallas to London than to go from Dallas and try to get to Redding, California. It is really hard to get there, and then your flight will probably be canceled somewhere or delayed in that, that process. But, but, but why would God choose such a an obscure little town in the mountains of California to rest and rest on and localize his presence in because it's only for the hungry. The bread of his presence is sacred and he only entrusts the bread of his presence to those who are hungry. Why? Because it's the hungry who will value it. He's looking for those who will value it. Asbury, Kentucky, Pastor David and I went there last month with Zaheer. It was a really difficult place to get to. <laughs> we went through crazy back roads, and it was, it was really hard. But why did we go there? Because God was there. God was there. I'm willing to pay any price to go where he's moving. I'm willing to go anywhere where he's, he's moving. Lord, touch me. Touch me there. Even if he doesn't touch me, I, at least I was there. At least, oh, I saw it. I saw the move of God. This isn't to say that God isn't everywhere. He has a, his presence is everywhere, omnipresent, but he will choose in different places throughout history to find places in geography to say, I want to live there. I want to set my throne there for a season. And my prayer every day is God, come and live here. Come and make your throne here in Allen, Texas. Come and live here. Lord, may, it, may you see fit, Lord that this room, this culture here would remind you of the throne room in heaven. I want you to feel comfortable here. I don't want the presence of God to feel like a stranger in this house. I want him to feel right at home here. I want him to feel at home. Jesus, live here. Proverbs 25, 2 says, it is the glory of God to hide a matter, but the glory of kings to search a matter out. The question for all of us today is, what price are you willing to pay for more. I want more. I want more. I'm hungry for more. We had a great year last year here in God's presence. We had a great beginning of the year. We're in a, we're in a turning of a season right now, I feel, where it's like, ah, I need more, Lord. We need more. We need a fresh wave in this house. We need a fresh wind. God, we need a fresh move of your spirit. He responds to the hungry. He responds to the aching. He responds to those who are longing. This is the greatest call. This is the greatest ambition. This ambition to know Jesus is greater than planting thousands of churches. This ambition to know the heart of Jesus is greater than preaching to stadiums. This ambition to know the Lord Jesus is what Paul prayed in Philippians. Notice Paul, he was... He memorized the whole Torah. He memorized scripture. He was so intellectual. He planted churches. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Yet he said this in Philippians, I count it all rubbish 
in light of knowing the Lord Jesus. I want to know him. Can we just stand to our feet and let's just respond. Jesus, we're here. We've gathered in your house again. This is your house. This is not our house. God, we just recognize our need for more. If you would, just begin to close your eyes and just ask him. Ask him for more. Ask him to touch you. Lord, we want to know you. We want to know you. We want to know you. There's no greater calling than knowing you. There's no greater ambition than knowing you, Lord. May we be like John the Beloved, and may we be a, your beloved church that would learn to lean their head against your heartbeat, God, and hear you and be in pulse with your presence. How we ache for you. How we ache for the name of Jesus to be made known throughout the earth. Lord, we pray this, this ache would be birthed in hearts today. Birth an ache, birth a groaning today, God. God, I just pray, let travail prayer begin to break out in our midst, God. We refuse to move on without you. Just as Moses said, I don't want to go to the promised land if I can't have the promised one. I don't want to go to, the, to Canaan. I don't want to go to the next thing if you are not going to be in it, if the cloud isn't there. God, we thank you for your presence. We love you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.